Thank you for that song, Brian. Thou supplyest all our need. Father, whither shall I go? Ne'er forsaking, here partaking, bread our souls to satisfy, here abiding and confiding. We shall never want nor die. Do you believe that? It's good to be with you this morning. I was blessed by our Sunday school class this morning. Here we are, a group of men sitting in a circle here this morning. We didn't spend time together this week. And yet, around the Word of God, we spent time. And we heard from each other about faith in God. And it's encouraging. It encourages us. So may we be encouraged together this morning as we look into God's Word. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. For the message this morning, I'm going to give you my title first. Acts chapter 1. The title is, Does God Have a Witness? Now, Acts chapter 1, most of you who are familiar with the, with the text there know that there's some verses there in Acts chapter 1 about being a witness. And you may be thinking in your mind that this sounds like a message on evangelism. That's not really the focus of the message this morning. It doesn't exclude that message, but it's not the focus of the message. What I want to focus more on is the significance of the power and presence of the Spirit in our lives. Let's begin reading. We're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, then chapter 2, 1 through 4, and then also in chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For God truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, 
and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And moving ahead to chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let's move ahead to verse 37. Peter, in between this passage, uh, Peter began to, to preach to the people. And he preached uh, that Christ had been killed at their very hands. And picking up at verse 37, And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So through this passage, we see the Holy, the Holy Spirit being promised in chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father. And then in chapter 2, verse 38, we see a promise given to them who would, who would repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It says you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse, sorry, that, uh, that was in verse 38. In verse 39, it says that this promise is to you and to your children and to all them that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. God has promised that He will give His Holy Spirit to those who repent, believe in Him and repent and come to Him by faith. The coming of the Holy Spirit is directly linked with being a witness for God. In chapter, four, I mean, in, sorry, in chapter one, verse four, it says that they're to wait. They're not to go in their own strength, but they're to wait for the promise of the Father. <clears throat> and then moving ahead to verse eight, it says, "And ye shall receive power." After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the, the source of power that the believer had was to be the Holy Spirit in him. And that that source of power, its presence within them, would be a witness of Jesus. You will be witnesses after this has come upon you. So in my own words, the Holy Ghost will come upon you and you will be a witness for Jesus as a result of that. 
So at this point, we have to stop and ask ourselves a question. It's a question that I've asked myself. Do I have the Holy Spirit? See, that's a vital question. Do I have God's Spirit dwelling within me? What does the Scripture say? John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, to thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the presence of the Spirit is vital to being part of the kingdom of heaven. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So see again how vital the presence of the Holy Spirit is in our experience. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But there's a remedy. We read about that in Acts 2. Repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that promises to all. And so you see, if we find ourselves in a place where we don't have the Spirit of God, we have an opportunity to have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. <clears throat> if our answer is yes, it brings a beautiful assurance into our lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. And I'll just stop there and say that word earnest means the pledge. It's the pledge of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. So God, in, in placing the Holy Spirit in the believer, God has placed a pledge of the inheritance to come. So we can look forward with anticipation to our inheritance. Its presence in our lives is our assurance of salvation, present and future. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Now He which established us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of His Spirit. Again, that's the pledge of His Spirit in our hearts. So we can conclude from Scripture that the Christian's assurance, His power, and His ability to witness for God all rely on the presence of the Holy Spirit in His life. In fact, that's the defining mark of being a Christian. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And that that presence we see from Acts 1.8 is intended to bear witness of God. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no place in the kingdom of God. I'd like to turn now to Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to give you just a little bit of background from chapter 24 because this is a this is an ongoing um, 
statement of Jesus. Actually, Jesus, in, in verse 5 of chapter 24, Jesus starts talking. And He talks all the way through chapter 24 and all the way through chapter 25. So this is, a, this is an ongoing... Um, Jesus, Jesus is talking. And so to give you a little bit of the context here, in, in chapter 24, the first part of chapter 24, the disciples are pointing out to Jesus the magnificence of the temple. And Jesus says, um, he foretells the destruction of the temple and asks the disciples, and the disciples ask him about these events. You know, when are these things going to happen? And so then from verses 4 to 41 in the chapter, Jesus lays out, and this is chapter 24 again, Jesus lays out a bunch of of end-time events or things that are going to happen following um, the destruction, well, following His life and the destruction of the temple. And then in verses 42 to 51 of the chapter, He makes a comparison of those who are ready for that and those who are not ready. And it's in that context that he begins in chapter 25. And chapter 25 is a parable that Jesus tells. I'm going to start reading here in verse 1 of chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their oil took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said to them, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know not whether the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. There's something implied here. It's not stated directly, but there's something implied in this story. The lamp must be burning. There must be a burning lamp. There were ten women here. And initially they were all ready for the bridegroom to come. They had oil in their lamps. Their lamps were burning. But as they waited... Five of them ran out of oil. And in that style of lamp, you run out of oil, the light goes out. The wick burns up, the light goes out. There must be oil in the lamp for the light to be burning. The oil of the Holy Spirit must be in our lives for the lamp to be burning. If we're going to be a witness for Jesus Christ, there must be His Spirit dwelling within us for the lamp to be burning.
And Jesus concludes with a warning. Watch, be ready. Be ready for that time. Have the Spirit in your heart. Have the Spirit in your life. Jesus goes on from there and He tells another parable. This one's about this one's about money, and he's 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 giving this one in the in the same context that he gave the other one, and actually uh, following the context of that. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man who traveled to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods, and he gave unto one and unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth, and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so, he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then came he which had received one talent. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid my talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I had not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put thy money, my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him with, which hath ten talents. For every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance." But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here we have a parable of of people who were given something. It was not theirs. They were given something of someone else's. And each one of the people... Each one of the the three men in the story, he had a choice about what he did with what he was given. Jesus did not give, or in this case, the, the man in the parable did not give more than could be used by the gifting of the person. He gave unto him according to his ability. And then a day of reckoning came. What had been done with what was given? You see, Jesus doesn't consider success 
to be how much we have gained. He considers success to be on what we have done with what we've been given. In verses 24 and 25, we see that the man was afraid. And the fear of failure led to his failure. He was afraid he would fail, and he did because of that fear of failure. So that's all in the context of this this parable about the lamp. So we've been given the Holy Spirit if we've come to faith in Jesus Christ. What are we doing with what we've been given? Are we using it or are we burying it? Does God have a witness? I told you early in the message that this was not focused on outreach. And I'd like to give you four points to consider in relation to this issue of the Holy Spirit. It's power and presence in your life. The first one is this. Who are you? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So I'm going to pick on Brother John here a little bit. Brother John, are you John Swartz primarily and then Christian? Or are you Christian primarily and then Brother John? Well, I think about that martyr, you talk about witnesses, and he said, if you take my heart out and cut out every piece, cut it into little pieces, Jesus would be written on every piece. Remember that story? So, I, you know, what Christian would be first. Who is Christ to you? Who is the Holy Spirit to you? What is within you? Is it a treasure? Is it a treasure that's of primary importance? You see, those verses we just read are talking about a treasure that's inside of an earthen vessel. Is that what the Holy Spirit is to you? You see, there was a time in my life when I was Philip Martin primarily. But what came out of that wasn't very pretty. You see, I needed more than who I was. I needed the Spirit of God to change me. And the Spirit of God has done that. And because of that, my life can be something beautiful. But it's only as long as that treasure is there. You see, the earthen vessel doesn't have that beauty. 
beauty is in the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is a change of essence. I'd like to give you the definition for essence. The intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something abstract that determines its character. Christianity is a change of essence. It's a change of who we are. And I believe it's important that we understand that that treasure of the Holy Spirit is a central aspect of who we are. And that's the light we want to shine. It says, you will be witnesses. You see, that's a state of being. It's a state of who you are. Who are you? Are you a, do you have a treasure in earthen vessel? Is that who you are? <clears throat> the second thing is it's not about my ability. Maybe you feel like the person that received the one talent. Maybe you feel like you don't have much to offer. Maybe you think it's everyone around you that received the two and the five. But that's not what's important to God. His view of success is not whether you end up with ten. It's whether you do with what you have what He wants you to do. Whether you fulfill His will. It's not about your ability. You see in that verse, Acts 1.8, it says, Ye shall receive power. God wants to give you power. That's beyond your ability. God isn't looking for people who can do it on their own. He's looking for people who are willing to surrender their lives to Him so that He can place His power in them through His Spirit. It's not about my ability. Number three, it's not about me. He is the one who will be witnessed of. You will be witnesses unto me, says Jesus. It's not about me. I remember a moment in my life when this principle became very real to me. And it was the first public speaking engagement that I ever had. It was at Bank Church after Scott and Phyllis Showalter had passed away, and there was a, there was a memories, um, an evening of memories there. And Brother Dave asked me to have devotions. I had never spoken publicly before that. And I got there and sat down, and church started filling up, and it was packed. And I started getting more than scared. I started to think, I can't do this. And while we were singing, I started to pray. And I said, God, this isn't about me. This is about you. And the power and presence of the Holy Spirit came in and gave me peace. And I stood up there without fear and shared that day. You see, that's what it's about. It's not about me. It's about God being glorified. 
through us, through our earthen vessel. Number four. The witness that God has placed in you and I is to build the church. That's the purpose of the witness. What is your perspective about work in the church? Are you actively looking for opportunities to invest what God has given you into the local body, into the church, into building the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Do you think you don't have anything to offer? Don't ever think that. The Spirit of God has given you something to offer. It's giving you a testimony of Jesus Christ. And it talks in the book of Revelation about those who have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's about God taking the surrendered li- your surrendered life and putting the testimony of Jesus in it. There's another story from my experience. I remember one morning driving to church and up at Bethany. I was superintendent, and the morning had been stressful, and it hadn't gone well, and I hadn't gotten prepared and like I wanted to, and I was just really worked up about getting needing to get up and have devotions. And as I was driving to church, the thought hit me. These people love me. If I get up there and mess up, they're still going to love me. That's okay. I don't want to, but if I do, they still love me. They're still going to love me. And you know, that gave me a peace about that. And it wasn't long after that, you know, I got to test my theory out. I was having... Uh, devotions at prayer meeting and I had a mental blank and I said we were going to pray for two and a half hours and everybody laughed and they still loved me. You see, one of the beautiful things about investing in the church is you're investing in a group of people who love you. It doesn't matter if you're not the most eloquent speaker. It doesn't matter if you're not the best song leader. God has given you a testimony that He wants you to share to build His church. Ephesians 4.15 says this, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself, in love. Each one of us who believe in Jesus Christ brings something special into the body. Brings something special into the kingdom. And God wants that to be shared. He, he wants you to share that with His church. And what's the purpose? That the body may be built up in love. Now that doesn't negate witnessing outside the church. But it's an opportunity for us to exercise ourselves. You know what exercise does? It builds us up. And when you can exercise in a safe environment, 
then it's so much easier to exercise in environments that's not so safe. So engaging in church life, to me, from my perspective and from my experience, is how we learn to engage then outside and be a witness for Jesus outside. But this gives us a safe environment. I think that's beautiful that God has created, has designed it in such a way that we can, in a safe environment, learn to share our testimony. And then outside too. Or maybe outside with. Because people are watching and they're seeing your testimony. So my prayer is this morning that this message is an encouragement to you. To value the presence and the power of the Spirit in your life and to seek to build that up. He that believeth on the Son of God hath this witness in himself. Does God have a witness? I believe He does. Let's engage in being part of that witness by surrendering ourselves to Jesus Christ.